0: I'll add my welcome to that of Michael's, glad you're here, really glad you took the time to be here. For those of you that were praying that it wouldn't rain, thank you for doing that, appreciate that so much, and I'm grateful that we actually can gather even though it's raining. So um, you'll hear more about the grand opening details after we get done working through John chapter four this morning, but um, specifically we won't be doing obviously any outdoor events. So bringing everything inside, that means we'll be moving some chairs a little bit after this service, but know this, um, the food that's being prepared, we have enough food for a thousand people. So eat up, okay? And so the first service, the nine o'clock service is coming in and joining the 11 o'clock service. There'll be plenty to go around and we want you to really enjoy yourself. But in the meantime, would you take your Bibles out if you have one and go to John chapter four. Maybe you didn't bring one with you this morning. If you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles for you. If you'd like to pick up a copy after the service, you can do that. They're in the back of the auditorium on a table back there. It may be that you have it on your phone or an electronic device. Um, You can follow along that way, but you're going to see the verses come up on the screen. But before we get into John chapter 4, I I want to put something up there from the book of Psalms for you. Um, Just a show of hands, how many of you just love the sound of the rain on the roof? Okay. It it could put you to sleep, right? I'm not going to let you do that. However, I, I do want you to let the soothing rain wash over you and think through the depth of what David is writing in the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 36, as he talks about the nature and the character of God. Watch this as you see it up on the screen. Your loving kindness, O God, it extends to the heavens. In in the Hebrew text when he's writing that, he's thinking of outer space. "Your, Your loving kindness, O Lord, it reaches into outer space. Keep going. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I remember, David's writing this in the Middle East. If you've been to Big Sky, Montana before, you've seen big skies. David's in a place where there's no hindrance whatsoever, and he can see this big sky. Your, Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. What's he thinking of? He's thinking of Mount Sinai, the Sinai mountain chain. We might think of the Rocky Mountains. Why mention that? Because it's firm, it's immovable, it's massive, it's rooted. Watch the next one. Your judgments are like a great deep. You might think of the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean, the deepest place on earth. He says, that's that's what you're like, God. Your judgments, your discernment, your knowledge is so deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast, how precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. That last part is what we're going to anchor on today. John chapter 4 speaks to Jesus being the fountain of life. Let's pray together, and then we'll step into the passage. Father, I thank you for every single soul that's in this auditorium. I thank you for every person who's watching online right now. Each of us, Father, have taken time to set this aside for the purpose of knowing more about you and knowing more about who we are to you. So God, I ask that you would honor that, that you would honor the desire of our heart to know more about this one who came from heaven for all of us. Open our minds and and illuminate our hearts. We ask for that every week here at New Hope. But especially, Father, I ask for people who might be new to church, that you would give them a supernatural understanding. Let your Holy Spirit be active now, Father, and teach us from your word. We ask for that in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. So in John chapter 4, you find Jesus on a mission. He's on a mission because he's got to meet someone, and he's going to go through a territory that typically Jewish people don't go through. Where he's at to where he's going would take him on the straight path through the nation of Samaria. But Samaria is a place that most people who are of the Jewish nature won't go. In that area, most Jews will not even walk the roads going through there because they regard the Samaritan people as defiled. But Jesus is not most people, amen, New Hope? He's not most people. He'll do opposite of what culture says many times, you're gonna see that come out today. There's a brief history of where he's going, it's a village, actually it's called a city in the Bible, it's called the city of Sychar, it's not that big. It's a village, a village of Sychar, and it's in the heart of Samaria, and it's only a half mile from Jacob's well. Now that's very significant because it plays a huge role in history. Jacob bought a parcel of land in the Old Testament 900 years before this moment in time, and he dug a well 125 foot deep, and everybody of the area was able to have access to it. And on his deathbed, Jacob willed the well and the land around it to his son Joseph. But there was a civil war between Israel. The northern kingdom split into the southern kingdom. Future kings under Solomon eventually rebelled, and when they fought, the nation divided. And when they divided, the northern kingdom began mixing with other groups of people, and the Assyrian empire mixed with the Jews, and they produced what's known as the Samaritan race. And the Samaritans only regarded half of the Old Testament, called the Torah. And the Jews, the pure Jews from the southern part of Israel, they thought of them as half-breeds. They thought of them as being ethnically polluted. And at the time of Jesus, there was a really strong hatred and a bitterness towards the people of Samaria. And it stemmed all the way back, 900 years. But we're told this in verse 4 of John chapter 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Uh, That particular word doesn't seem like it would have a lot of meaning to it, the word had, but in the Greek language, it's the word day, and it means he's bound to it. In other words, there's something that has to happen, so he has to do it. So if you don't know anything about history, you don't know anything about geography, that may not seem all that significant, but Jesus is on a mission. There's someone there he has to interact with, and now we really dive into the story in verse five. Verse 5 reads this way, he, meaning Jesus, came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So the disciples are with Jesus. They leave him. They're going to go into the village of Sychar. They're going to buy some food. They've been walking. There's no takeout restaurants, so they've got to go to the grocery store. So Jesus sits down, he takes a seat, he's completely by himself. The 12 disciples leave him and we're told in verse six, he's weary, he's tired, he's hot, he's thirsty, he's been walking all morning, it's been a long journey. And it's May, it's very hot in the Middle East in May, it's the time of the barley season, the harvesting of it, so there's a lot of dust in the air. And you're told in verse six that it's the sixth hour. It's noon. Now that's a really unusual time to go to a well thinking you're gonna get a drink. People didn't leave their buckets at the well. And Jesus is the only one there. So it's an odd time to come because people don't come to get water at noontime, and you and I get to overhear a conversation as though there's a hidden camera. John writes this, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now just back up 15 minutes in time. She's walking out of the village of Sychar. Walking into the village of Sychar are the 12 disciples, and they're coming to buy food. Does she give them the road? Do they give her the road? Jews and Samaritans are not supposed to mingle. She obviously can recognize them by their clothing, by their hairstyle, probably even by the dialect of their conversation. But for whatever reason, they're there, and likely most people looking at them are thinking, what in the world are Jews doing in our city? They hate us. She cannot know who's at the end of her journey. She cannot possibly understand who's sitting at the well. But she can't avoid him. And surprise of surprises, when she gets to the well, the man who's there begins speaking with her. If you have your Bible open, you see that it says, Give me a drink. Well, it sounds kind of rude, like Jesus is demanding. Actually, if you have an NIV version of the Bible, it actually says, Will you give me a drink? Will you grant me a drink? Well, you're going to hardly refuse cold water to someone on a really hot day. But before she does this, she decides to use this moment to her advantage and she begins asking Jesus questions. Verse 9 Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And John gives us this in parentheses. John's the commentator here, and he says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You being a Jew, how does she know? Well, maybe by his physical features, most likely by his clothing. He's a rabbi. Rabbis had very distinctive robes. Jesus had one of these robes with blue tassels on the bottom. You could identify a rabbi from a long way away. She obviously knows he's of that lineage. She says, I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. Well, rule number one in the first century, especially in this part of the Middle East, men do not speak with women in a public setting, especially when their husbands are not present. There's a law on the books that in public, absolutely no speaking with women. You even see that today among Sharia law in the Middle East. That's kind of a carryover from the first century. The rabbis actually wouldn't even talk to their wives, their sisters, or their daughters in a public setting. They'd wait till they were someplace private. So religious leaders didn't look upon women and didn't talk to women, and there was a group of Pharisees that were actually called the bruised and the bleeding, and it was because when they saw a woman in public, they would close their eyes when they're walking down the sidewalk. Well, they're called the bruised and the bleeding because they kept walking into buildings, right? So the bruised and the bleeding, they took it as a badge of honor. They won't even talk or look upon women. They're very, very strict. And so John tells us in verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And in the Greek literal language, this word sakronomai, it's it's not in your notes because there's no notes in your bulletin, but you see it on the screen. It means using vessels together. That's why John says they have no dealings with each other. They won't even drink from the same water pot They won't hold things in common, so this is what really shakes her. Because the law is that the Jews and the Samaritans are not allowed to use the same drinking vessel. You might as well be in the deep south, maybe in Alabama in 1960. This is exactly what this is like. This is at the height of segregation. What you're looking at here is Jesus shattering all of the artificial social barriers So Jesus stands at a drinking fountain in the deep south and he hears this woman say to him, you mean you're willing to drink from my pitcher? You're gonna do that? Watch the actual Greek language. This is the way it's rendered if you translated it word for word from Greek into English. It says this, how you being a Jew from me asked to drink a woman, a Samaritan, Can you feel the tone? You feel the intensity behind that? Don't you know the rules? See, strict Jews, they wouldn't even eat food handled by Samaritans. This is what's really messing with her and she can't understand why he would even ask this. So my mind goes back to Psalm 36, how vast is the love of God and how different is it than the love of man? It reaches to the heavens. It's solid like the Rocky Mountains. It's as wide as the big sky. How different is God's love than human love? Because human love says, I love you because I like what you are. That's not God's love. God says, I love you, and I don't care what you were. What I care about is your destiny. I don't care about your past. I care about what you become. So Jesus steps in and he appeals to her curiosity based on her response. Watch with verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now think back to Psalm 36, 5, for with you is the fountain of life. Jesus is making a huge declaration about who he is here, and he's lifting her thinking because he's combining the material with the spiritual. If you start with us next week in the midst of the parable study, you're going to see Jesus doing this time after time after time. I'll explain that more in just a moment. What's going on here is what's known as a mashal. And a mashal in Hebrew means to lift the veil, In other words, to use a teaching tool. So it's a veiled saying. Jesus is lifting the veil and he's saying, if you knew the gift of God, well, let me ask you this morning, New Hope, what is the gift of God? Let's just think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, what church? Son. Well, who's the son? Jesus, right. It's the Jesus answer. If you knew the gift of God, what's the gift of God? The gift of God is Jesus. God gave Jesus, and he's putting this out there before John 3.16 has ever spoken. He's using this mashal to lift her thinking. It's an ancient teaching technique. So that's what the parables are. The parables are mashals. Jesus using the material and the spiritual to combine together to help you really understand what is God like, using visual imagery. If you're new here, what we're doing next week is we're beginning a series called The Parables, and it's all the stories that Jesus told, and it's gonna take a while. It's gonna take, I'm just saying, about 40 weeks, okay? So I hope you're in for it for the long haul. That's what parables are. If you knew the Son of God... If you knew it was Jesus saying to you, give me a drink, he would do something for you. Remember where we started? Remember this? Look with me on the screen, Psalm 36.8. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. So the fountain comes to her asking for a drink. And he knows her just like he knows you this morning. He knows you intimately, he knows everything about you. And He knows what she really needs. What she really needs is a drink from the eternal fountain, something that will fill a void that she's never been able to fill before. In the ancient text, the word for living, it actually means to bubble up, to spring. So when you think of a spring of water, this is where it comes from, this thought of something being moving and acting and gushing. So Jesus is saying, I know where you can get some running water. I know where you can get some bubbling water. And he's calling himself that source. Don't let that fly by too quickly this morning because I have a question for you. How is your thirst this morning? How is your spiritual thirst? Has it been quenched? Has that void in your life been filled? See, God's telling you in no uncertain terms, I am the one who fills your emptiness. I am the one who takes care of that void. All those earthly relationships, all those gadgets, they can't do for you what I can do Now, I don't know if she has really quick wit or if she's just looking to deflect Jesus, maybe a combination of both, but watch her response in verse 11. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. So she's hearing his words, but she's missing his meaning. See, in her world… The living water, it came from the very bottom of the well. When Jacob dug that well 125 feet down, when he finally hit a river, when he finally hit the spring, the ancients called that living water because it was moving, it wasn't stagnant. So to get water from the very bottom of the well, you'd have an incredibly long rope. She's saying your ropes, your ropes on your robe won't even reach that far. That, that's fed by underground springs. The water's fresh and cool down there. But it's 125 feet. Where do you get that living water? Jesus' response, verse 13, she answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, and I'm thinking in this moment, he's pointing at the well. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So God's telling us that everything that's on the outside is superficial. The thing that we know just as basic as water, it will evaporate. I I find great irony that God caused a rainstorm in the morning I'm teaching on this, right? That stuff's gonna drain into the ground. You drink enough water here today, you, you get into the water fountain or grab the bottles of water, it eventually is gonna evaporate or pass through your body. It's just gonna be gone. Jesus says, it's not there for long. You need something that's gonna bubble up. That's the word halomai, you'll see it up on the screen. It's the other Greek word that's used here. And it's referring to something that's living, that's bubbling up, that's gushing. So what is this living water that he's offering? He's talking about eternal destiny. What is your destiny? What are you headed for eternally? Eternally in heaven, and it begins now. Well, that destiny is a fresh start. It's a fresh new beginning, and it's bubbling up, Jesus says. It's ever-living. It's ever-new. That's why the writers of the Bible say your mercies are new every morning. Every morning is a brand-new beginning with God. Whatever happened yesterday, that's in the past because God takes your sins, and he wipes them away and remembers them no more according to Scripture. So, Jesus is speaking with her very specifically about her past. It's exactly what Jesus offers to anyone who wants a brand new beginning, anybody who wants their past in their past, and only He can do it. But her objectives are non spiritual. She's not thinking that way right now, they're superficial. She wants something to save her the effort of coming from the village because she's carrying about 240 pounds of water every day. Most women to take care of their household at this time, they had to make seven trips to the well and bring it back for their household, but she's doing it at noon. Why? Watch verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now that's a problem. If you know the story, you know where this is headed. There's an issue that's now developed. Jesus' request is really strategic. Remember we said earlier, it's not regarded as good etiquette for men and women to speak in public alone like this at this period of time, unless the husband is present. So it places her in a dilemma. I wonder this morning what image you have of this woman right now. What what image do you see visually when you think of her mentally? Well, here's a detail you need to know. It's very clear she has no interest in running into the other women of her community. That's why she's showing up at noon in the heat of the day because she knows there won't be any other women from the community coming out to the well. She's alone. She expected to be alone. She's not gonna see other people. Keep going with me. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, "'I have no husband.'" Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. I'm guessing in this moment there was a really long pause. Like how hard is it to hide things from an omniscient God? You tried to do it, I've tried to do it, we've all tried to do it, she's trying to do it. She, Jesus knows all about her. She's being really evasive here by saying, I have no husband. Well, she's not lying, but she's not telling the truth. There's a really desperate attempt here to conceal her sinful behavior. And we've all done it. So Jesus knows her, and he knows her so well. He knows her inmost secrets. So he's speaking truth into her life. But is she willing to accept it? How shocking would it be if a complete stranger came up to you and began telling you about the things that you thought you buried and hid and no one knew about? That's how shocked she is. See, Jesus is lifting the veil, he's using this Mashal to reveal spiritual things, but her armor's really thick. She's got five failed marriages. And marriage isn't working for her, so she's living with the dude now. She's moved in with another guy. And we've just crossed the boundary line. This is no longer about a well. This is no longer about water. So I'm asking, what image do you have of this woman? I'm asking because of the God who sees everything. He sees our hearts just like this woman he doesn't hesitate to speak directly into her life. He might be doing that with you this morning. You're watching these words go up on the screen and maybe you feel this sense of uneasiness like, I'm not sure where this is going. Jesus knows this lady needs to know him and about him. Hear this. No matter how far away you might feel you are from God this morning, no matter how much you think there is that's separating you from God, Jesus still wants to be with you. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. Jesus wants to be with you no matter how far you might feel you're separated from him. And what he wants to do is he wants to set you on a track of restoration. So with this woman, Jesus knows all these things. And check this, he knew it at the beginning of the conversation, He knew it when he sat down on the well. He knew it when the disciples left to go into the village. He knew it when he had to go through Samaria. This isn't a surprise to him. And yet, he determines to have this conversation. No matter what image you might have of someone in your life who's made really bad choices, really hard life choices, know this. Jesus still sees the heart and he still wants to be with that one because his loving kindness reaches to the heavens. David wouldn't have declared that if it wasn't true. It's as big as the big sky Montana. It's as solid of a truth as the Rocky Mountains. God wants that person. So watch this woman, she goes to the point that you would, well, just join me, verse 19. The woman said to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, (laughs) okay? Got that in your mind? Now watch the diversion of the subject. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. What's going on here? She's cornered. You ever been cornered? You ever watch somebody who's cornered? They're trying to avoid the conversation at all tasks. So there's an attempt here to divert the conversation. Because this probing into her life has become very uncomfortable. You consider yourself a church person this morning? Look at what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is giving us a lesson on how to take a conversation to a completely new level just by speaking the truth. But what does the Bible declare when you speak the truth? Speak the truth in love. Jesus is using tact here. He's using love here and he's speaking truth very directly. And so he allows this discussion to go down a new trail. He says, okay, I'll I'll let you go there. You want to talk about worship? I'll go head-to-head with you on that. But he's going to bring the conversation full circle right back around to this issue again. Watch verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And he's talking about himself there. Jesus comes from the Jewish line. Salvation is from the Jews, but he's elevating this conversation above geography, above location. You you worship what you don't know, woman. It's not about location. It's not about the mountain it's not about 2170 East Saginaw Highway. It's not about this beautiful new building. It's a great tool. We're thrilled that God has given it to us, but that's not what it's about, Jesus is saying. He's saying true worship of God, that's of the Spirit. When you deal honestly and openly with God and confess who you really are, Keep going with me, verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I would love to get into that with you this morning, but we can't. So it's just for time. I can't even dive into something I'd love to dive into, but what you're seeing here, God is describing God. You're gonna see it come out in the parables, God describing God. So when God says the kingdom of heaven is like, you wanna pay very close attention. That's what Jesus does with the parables. And here he's doing the exact same thing, but she's still trying to dodge the truth. She's not willing to go there with him and unwilling to open her heart. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, John says, he puts it in parentheses. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Now, this is code at this point. It's code for, I don't know who you are, man, but you're talking way over my head. It's all she's got. So she finally confesses her ignorance, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way. She's saying, I don't know where this is going, but she's really expressing her longing at the same time. Do you see it there? He will explain everything to us. There it is. There it is, church. That's what's taken all this time to get to this point. She's saying, I know I need God. God. I know that I have to understand him, but until that one arrives, how am I ever going to find God? It's the one hope she has, the one hope of finding God. And so on that basis, Jesus speaks directly to her, and he speaks to you. Watch his response. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You got somebody in your life that's questioning whether or not Jesus ever said that he was actually God? Take them to verse 26. Do you see the beauty of this conversation? And I mean eternal conversation and I use that word intentionally. This is an eternal conversation. He looks deeply at this woman, he says, it's me. It's me, if that's what you're looking for, it's me. I know your need, I know you've been searching. I know you've been trying to fill that void. You got a trail of busted relationships in your past to prove it. You got an emptiness within you and you need what I'm offering you. And if it were 2019, he would say the exact same thing to us. I know you've been searching. I know you keep filling your life with all these gadgets. I know you got busted relationships. Stop chasing those things. I am the source. I can bring it for you. If you're new to church this morning and you think that maybe these things that we're talking about, this new beginning isn't for you because like maybe you got too much of a history, like you've got too much of a past, I want you to pay very special attention to who Jesus is talking to here. He's voluntarily announcing to a five-time failed marriage woman who's living in an adulterous relationship, I'm right here for you. I'm here if you will only receive it. This woman living in a backwater town who had no chance of hearing about Jesus, he had to go to the well, and he knows her entire past, yet he still offers her a fresh new start. You want that this morning? Do you want a new beginning with God? This is the one who's saying, I am. And he's just rocked this woman to the core. Check this. She knows nothing about the miracles. She doesn't know that he's walked on water. She doesn't know that he's turned water into wine. She doesn't know that he's raised dead people. She has no clue. How could she? The Jews and the Samaritans are separated. But he knows her heart. And so he lets her go without exchanging a further word. You read the story later today, you're going to say, that's the end of it? Jesus doesn't need to win the debate. He doesn't tackle her in the parking lot. He just says, okay, you've got the information. So check verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? Because it's a total violation of rabbinical custom. So the disciples watch her run down the road and their eyes turn back and they see the water jug and they're thinking, what has he done now? Where's this going? She makes her way back to the city and she begins telling everyone that she runs into about what just happened. Verse 28 So the woman left her water pot, very significant detail, and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. That she leaves her water pot tells you a whole lot because she had a mission. She had a goal to take care of her household, but this living water is now bubbling up inside her. There's something that this new life is bringing to her and has brought curiosity her way and her heart is running over and God has accepted her even though she has a past, she's been told she can have a brand new beginning. So the disciples show back up and they got bags of food, but before they can get Jesus to eat, the whole city is coming because the whole city needs a fresh new start. How do I know that? Well, because of this last verse, verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. See, that's a transformed heart. That's someone who's willing to say, I know I've messed up, I know I have a history but he's given me a new beginning. You got to come meet this guy. He knows everything about me. Yet he's willing to draw me in and he's offering you the same thing this morning. He's offering you a new beginning. And if you're looking around here and you're thinking, maybe I don't really fit in with these people. They seem like spiritual, like they've got their Bibles out and I see people writing notes and maybe you're looking around thinking these people all have their act together and they've got no problems in their life. If you look around the room and you're thinking that right now, you see smiles on the faces of people because they know they don't have their act together because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, amen? That's what Scripture says, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us who's above another. So there might be people who are more advanced in their walk with Christ. But we all have a place of beginning because we all came up short, just like this woman. See, the reason we have this new hope is because Jesus gave us a new beginning. He gave us a fresh start. If you're looking for that this morning, you want somebody to talk to you about it, I'd be happy to chat with you after the service. I'll be down here or over by the prayer room. If you need somebody to pray with you, let me know. I'd be honored to pray with you. Here's what I'm going to ask. You consider yourself part of New Hope. You consider yourself a church person. Be praying for people right now as they wrestle through this. Let's all pray together. Would you join me in that? Lord God, I I lift up to you our online audience, and I lift up to you every person in this room. There's a reality that even church people need to be reminded that our new beginning is in you. We need to be reminded that there are new mercies with you every single morning, and that's why you caused someone to write that. Mercies are new every day. Thank you, God, that our past is in our past, and you have separated us from our sin because of Jesus. But there's some here, Father, who might be wrestling through that right now, and they feel like they need a new beginning, but they don't know what to do next. God, I ask that you would move in the heart of that individual. Remind them, first of all, that you love them and they're precious to you. And all they need to do is ask. I I pray that the reality of what Jesus has offered, a new beginning in him, because of his death on the cross and his resurrection, thank you, God, for the provision. I ask now that you would... Cause us to have a blessed afternoon, even with this rain in the midst of our grand opening, God. Give us a great time of fellowship together. We pray for that in Jesus' matchless name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. amen.